G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Coming up today on The Story. He had polio as a child and he told me that he was brought up, basically told that your destiny will be to sit on the street corner with a begging bowl, relying on the welfare of others, of passers-by. That is your lot in life. But then he went to Bible studies at his church and he learnt about the truth that we are all made in God's image. The Story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, last time, Jane Edge shared with us her life journey and how the Lord led her to become the CEO of CBM Australia, a Christian charity organisation devoted to working alongside people with disabilities living in poverty. Today, we go international and speak with the Executive Director of CBM Global, David Bainbridge, who joins us from London, England. He'll share with us how the Lord's been working in his life since he was a child and cultivating in him a heart for helping disadvantaged people. David is chatting with Eric Scatterbo. David Bainbridge, welcome to the program. Thanks very much, Eric. Glad to have you with us. And so you're the Executive Director for CBM Global. So that's the whole world. You got the whole world in your hands. Is that right? (laughs) Well, something like that. (laughs) So yes, I've got responsibility for the CBM Global Federation. We have members all around the world, and that includes CBM Australia. Okay. So speaking of CBM Australia, apparently just recently you were in town. Is that right? In country? Yes. I was in in Melbourne uh, recently meeting with, uh, with the team and with the CBM Australia board and uh, so helpful just to connect in person, um, learn more about their, their current work, their focus, their priorities, and just make sure we're really collaborating and coordinating well across the whole federation. Mm-hmm. And here in Australia, when we think of CBM, typically we think of Miracles Day and the cataract surgeries and all the wonderful ways that people are given the gift of eyesight. But uh, Jane shared with us when we spoke with her that it's much more than that. Is that right? Absolutely. That's a core part of our work, but our focus is tackling the cycle of poverty and disability. And that means addressing a whole range of challenges, obstacles that people with disabilities face. So Mm -hmm. stigma and attitudes within society, a lack of access to services, to education, economic opportunities, livelihoods, and so on. So it's a comprehensive approach to make sure that um, our vision is realized, which is an inclusive world for people with disabilities. Now, this isn't something that you just became interested in within the last couple of years, you've had a heart for helping people with disabilities from a young age. Is that right? Indeed, yes. So um, right back in my my teenage years, I grew up in a, a Christian family in in London, in the UK, and at my church, uh, a very active youth group. I, I made a commitment to Christ at age 16. Mm-hmm. And then at age 17, a really significant moment happened when a missionary Um, who had worked in Ethiopia for 30 plus years. He came to our church and he spoke incredibly powerfully. And his message was basically directed toward young people to say, great that you've made a commitment to Christ, but but it's about service now. How are you going to dedicate your lives to serve? 
And it was such a powerful moment for me. It stayed with me. And it was really the turning point where I, I knew I wanted to be involved in international development and humanitarian work for people who are disadvantaged, who are left out of society, uh, where levels of poverty um, discrimination are high. So that was sort of where the journey started for me, age 17. Now, had you been exposed to those type of things in your life at that point? No, I hadn't. And that was um, what was interesting at that time. This is the 1980s. There was a a very influential book called um, Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger. Mm -hmm. And within churches, there was quite a lot of discussion about the the appalling imbalance in the world of of, um, high levels of poverty in Africa, Asia, and so on, and this incredibly unequal world. And so it was just something I, I felt a conviction about. And then I wanted to volunteer as soon as the opportunity arose. So I signed up with a Christian mission organization and aged 18, um, served as a volunteer, firstly in rural Jamaica. Sounds exotic in the Caribbean, but actually high levels of poverty, no Mm -hmm. running water, no electricity, um, malnutrition amongst children. And then in the following year, worked in the Sudan in Africa as a volunteer during the the huge East Africa famine crisis. That was the kind of era of live aid and um, oh, yeah. the appalling mm-hmm. famine that, that mm-hmm. many people remember to this day. Yeah, And that for me was when I encountered suffering and starvation firsthand. I'd go to the refugee camps and see just the most heart-wrenching um, sites of, of extreme suffering. And that really was the, the the conviction that this had to be something I would dedicate my life toward to seek to make a difference, to address poverty, to address humanitarian crises. And over the years, I started to observe that, yes, poverty affects so many people across the world, but actually people with disabilities are disproportionately affected. They face hmm. far more severe forms of exclusion, of discrimination, and really extreme poverty. And that's what you saw on your travels? Yes. Um, I mean, one example, when I I went once to Kyrgyzstan in Central Asia, and uh, I was taken to a small town, went to a building, and was introduced to a group of children um, who all had disabilities of different Mm -hmm. forms. And it was basically a voluntary school being run by teachers from a local school who were giving extra time voluntarily to teach these children. And as I discussed and learned about the the work, I was told to my horror (laughs) that in that society, children with disabilities would be completely invisible. They would not Mm. be allowed to go to school. They would be kept confined in their own homes. Um, There was so much stigma, so much discrimination. They were basically shunned and and kept silent. Hmm. And so the only reason these children were getting any form of education was a local Baptist church that saw it as part of their ministry mm-hmm. to reach out to, to stand against what that society was saying was the norm and provide education for, for these children. And it was one example, both of the levels of discrimination mm-hmm. that people with disabilities face, but also the power of the church when mm-hmm. it uh, has that vision, um, that that God-given vision to to be salt and light and yeah. to reach out where there is need. Yeah, of course, our Christian faith tells us that each and every life is precious, 
but uh, not every worldview has that view. No, exactly. Uh, in all my travels, time and time again, people, they talk about the, the depths of stigma and lack of value that they've been brought up mm-hmm. to think is, is normal. Um, a, a very significant moment in my own life came when I, I was in Uganda and met um, a wonderful man called Sam. And he had polio as a child and so was using a, a walking stick mm-hmm. when I met him. And he told me that as a child, he was brought up, basically told that you, your destiny will be to sit on, on the street corner with a begging bowl, hmm. um, relying on, on the welfare of others, of passers-by. That is your lot in life. Hmm. And he, he turned his life around because he, he told me that, yes, that was what he was brought up with. Mm-hmm. But then he went to Bible studies at his church and he learned about the truth that we are all made in God's image. Mm-hmm. A person with disability, a man, a woman, a child, uh, someone from an ethnic minority, mm-hmm. We are all made in God's image. We are all of intrinsic worth. And so Sam took that truth and said, mm-hmm. right, well, if that is the truth, I, I can just dismiss all of that garbage that, that society puts out there about mm-hmm. people with disabilities or, or, or those disadvantaged. I am of, of intrinsic worth. I'm loved by God. I'm in God's image. And he went on, in fact, to, to be a leading uh, church leader and development leader for their community. Um, he had a tiny little hut in, a, in an African village in, in Uganda, mm-hmm. but he knew that he had some land around and he could plant um, citrus trees, orange trees, to, mm-hmm. to sell oranges in the local market. And he carried on doing that so much so that he was so successful. He um, was married. He put his own children through school. He could pay the wow. school fees. Fantastic. And then with other church leaders, they said, let's do more of this. Let's grow more oranges. <laughs> there are so many children that can't go to school. The time I met him, over 250 children, the church had, had paid their fees to get an education. And, and how did that all start? It started by one man mm-hmm. who had been brought up to think he was disadvantaged, he had no worth, all based on the truth that he is made in God's image. And, and that has stayed with me as such a powerful reminder for all of us. You're listening to The Story. Today, the Executive Director of CBM Global, David Bainbridge, is joining us from London, England, and is sharing his life journey and how the Lord cultivated within him a heart for helping disadvantaged people. Next, we'll hear more of David's story and more about how CBM is helping to lift people with disabilities out of poverty. That's all coming up when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax, and this is The Story. We're back with more of David Bainbridge, who's joining us from his home in London, England. Now, here's more of his conversation with Eric Scadabo. Let's get back to your personal story. So you're a young adult, and the Lord is tugging your heart to have uh, compassion for people with disabilities, and you're traveling to different parts of the world, as you mentioned. And then eventually, 
you go to study theology. Is that right? Yes. So I I was a young man. I'd had that exposure in in Jamaica in the Sudan. I'd mm -hmm. seen famine and and extreme suffering. And felt well. What do I want to do next in terms of studies? Mm -hmm. um, I decided to do a, a degree in theology, uh, which I really enjoyed. And at that stage, I was contemplating: should I pursue um, career in the church as a, as a pastor? Should I go into the mission field? Um, should I move more into um, sort of humanitarian and development mm -hmm. work within a Christian organization? And it was the latter. Um, that was the path that I ended up pursuing, where I really felt I was able to use the the experiences that God had given me and my heart, my passion for mm -hmm. the situations of poverty and exclusion. And so, yeah, throughout 35 years later, <laughs> I've been working throughout that time yeah. with, with Christian organizations focusing on poverty and those most disadvantaged. Now, what if somebody said, hey, you wanted to help disabled people and disadvantaged people? Why in the world are you going to study theology? Did anybody ever question you why you were going that route? Uh, once in a while, people would ask, you know, help me understand, yeah. uh, or how are you using yeah. um, that theology in your work? And and my simple answer is it, it's such a, a solid grounding to have that that biblical theological understanding of, mm -hmm. of the world, of God's plan for the world, of, of God's kingdom work and Jesus's ministry that that for me has always been the starting point to think about it in the work that I do how do I look to to Jesus's example in the gospels mm -hmm. um ministering to to those who were outside of the circle <laughs> within society the the marginalized those in need but also speaking for justice and truth and integrity um so yeah it's it's for me a, a kind of basis a, a grounding mm -hmm. For the motivation for the values uh, in all the work that I pursue. And then after studying theology, what happened next in your life? So then it was straight back to working for a Christian organization, but I also uh, at university met um, my wife-to-be. Mm -hmm. uh, so we got married fairly soon after graduating, and then we worked together working for a Christian organization um, based in Canada for a mm -hmm. number of years, um, but I would visit different countries and projects quite regularly. And then we had the blessing of um, having twins, boy-girl twins, mm -hmm. which was another very significant life-changing event. And I can oh, tell yes. you a story around that, if you wish. Yes, please share. Please share. Yeah, so that was another case of being reminded of the privilege we take for granted in so many countries, Australia, UK, Canada, and so mm -hmm. on, our access to health services, mm -hmm. um, health care. And the situation was my wife had some pre-existing medical conditions that meant her pregnancy was quite high risk mm -hmm. and having twins meant even more high risk. Mm. And I did a project visit. I went out to work that a church was, was leading on in, in Western Uganda, um, which was providing healthcare in very isolated rural communities. And I visited there and I learned about how hard it was for, for pregnant women to receive care and when they were ready to give birth if there were any complications it was incredibly dangerous because for them to be transported to the nearest hospital mm -hmm. would be a precarious journey and they had lots of deaths as a result when mm -hmm. complications occurred so i i undertook that visit with the the partner church in in southwest uganda and then got home weeks later 
my wife um, unexpectedly discovered that she was going into labor six weeks early. So oh, wow. high risk yeah. pregnancy and quite a, a high level of of alarm now mm. we phoned our doctor got specialist advice and they said go straight to the um, specialist hospital in downtown toronto um, straight through to emergency um, because this is a very high risk situation so we rushed there and my wife went straight into an emergency cesarean our twins were delivered successfully but went straight into incubators to get the extra mm. oxygen that they mm. needed it took a number of days, in fact, weeks before they were stabilized enough to to be discharged and, and mm -hmm. we could all come home as a family. So it was a very emotional time, mm -hmm. as you can imagine. Yeah. But the thing that really stuck with me was having contrasted the situation of my wife and I having had access to, to healthcare, to specialized service. Um, had I been, my wife been living in those communities that I'd only just visited in Uganda yeah. with all of those um, lacking of access to healthcare, mm -hmm. to specialist service, without doubt, my wife and, and unborn children would have died because of the, mm. the complications that we faced. And that's a, a story which has come up time and time again in different situations where, as I think of my own life situation mm -hmm. and the things that I can take for granted living in the UK, um if i was in another person's shoes if i was in uganda in in nepal in indonesia life would be incredibly different and my mm. my life story would have in terms of yeah. having a young family would be entirely different too so for me it's i've always tried to remember mm. that um story and part of my motivation is acknowledging how much i take for granted mm. and and what i therefore need to do to try and make a difference in the world for those yeah. that don't have those same opportunities. That really brings it home. I mean, because you just had that experience in that country before. And wow, so that really brings it home that this is not just something in theory, you know, in practical reality, you would have lost your whole family. No, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it really, yeah. because I think that the challenge we all face when we think about, we, we see the news, our churches talk about, you know, poverty in the world, um, suffering and, and, and famine. But it's, I think it's too easy for it to feel a bit theoretical somehow. Yeah, or, far or away. It's over separate. there. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. not in our immediate world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I guess I've had the privilege because of all of this travel and, and meeting with communities and churches. It isn't far away. It's very, mm -hmm. very real. Well, it's very much in your face, I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. So you worked for 10 years in Canada with an organization and then 15 yep. years with Tier Fund UK. Is that yeah, right? That's right. Yeah. So with Tier Fund, I was leading the uh, humanitarian department for a number of years. So I would go out to um, situations of conflict, civil war and refugee situations or drought and famine or um, cyclone responses, tsunami responses. Mm. And then I ended up as their international director. And it was really my time with Tier Fund where I continued encountering people with disabilities mm -hmm. and finding that clearly their situation is so much more dire, mm -hmm. the, the level of discrimination that they face is so much worse. I remember going to Sierra Leone after the civil war had ended. So mm -hmm. this is a recovery process. We're trying to help the, the country rebuild, mm -hmm. communities get back on their feet. And I met people who were blind 
resettling back in their communities. And it was immediately obvious that the challenges that they faced, that the poverty that they, they were enduring was far, far disproportionate to others. Yeah. Another example for me of, of why it's so important, not just to think of people in poverty as, as one group, there are all sorts of different distinctions between um, who is really most marginalized, who is facing the worst forms of poverty, and, and it's so typically people with disabilities. And then how did you become involved with CBM? Yeah, so I, um, I felt after 15 years uh, with Tear Fund, the time was right to look to new opportunities and, and with this growing uh, burden to, to focus on work that was supporting and working with people with disabilities, CBM, there was a, a job opportunity and it just felt the right thing to pursue. And thankfully, there were a number of staff who I knew who were now working at CBM. Mm -hmm. And so we had some connections. I kind of knew the organization to a degree already. And when they offered me the job, I was thrilled uh, to, uh, to take yeah. it up. Now, you mentioned disasters and civil mm -hmm. wars and floods and all those kind of things, which are terrible for anybody, but magnified for somebody with a disability. Absolutely. Yeah. So there are so many examples where, to begin with, people with disabilities are, are simply ignored. Mm -hmm. um, so mm -hmm. a, a disaster may strike. Uh, if we use an example of, of a tropical storm or a cyclone, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. all of the planning that the government may have done uh, in terms of how to evacuate people or, or if there's a cyclone shelter, this is very typical in you know, lots of Asian countries, people can seek refuge in a, in a strong building. But typically, people with disabilities would not have been considered hmm. in all of that planning, just evacuation routes. Yeah, and, and someone using a wheelchair wouldn't be able to have access to that cyclone shelter, for example. Hmm. So yeah. they're ignored and forgotten in the planning mm -hmm. and in, in the actual crisis itself, may not have safety, they may not be able to get to shelter. And if there's a food distribution, say, they may be left out or because they, they can't get to the registration center. Mm. The basic lack of accessibility, for example, is, yeah. a, is a very typical problem. So now what do you do to help relieve that situation? Yeah. So what we do is ensure humanitarian programming is fully inclusive. Um, mm -hmm. So before a disaster strikes, a disaster-prone country like the Philippines or Indonesia, um, we're working with our, our local partner organization, CBM comes alongside mm -hmm. local organizations to firstly do planning. Mm -hmm. um, so if, if, if we know we're coming into cyclone season, how can we plan more inclusively so that mm. people with disabilities, they're helping to design the solutions. So if you're going to do an evacuation, this is what you need to think about. And mm -hmm. if, if there's an alarm um, system to give people early warning of a cyclone, then people who are deaf, you need an extra arrangement to make sure they get the message. So it's all about good, inclusive mm -hmm. planning. Mm -hmm. And then if and when a cyclone does strike, people with disabilities are part of the, the organization of, of the relief effort to be sure that people with disabilities are included. And then, of course, CBM, which used to be known as Christian Blind Mission, it's most famously known for the cataract surgeries to help mm -hmm. people regain yep. their sight. How are you involved with that? Yeah. So as a whole federation, our focus is 
really our vision is an inclusive world mm -hmm. where people with disabilities enjoy their human rights and achieve their full potential, which means tackling that cycle of poverty and disability. So one part of that work is cataract surgery, preventive uh, medical support for people that may become blind to have vision saving surgery. Mm -hmm. But in addition, for people who, for whom surgery is not an option and they will remain blind, then we provide support to make sure they have social support from other people, other people with disabilities. They have access to livelihoods, to, mm -hmm. to income generating opportunity and all the barriers that I described earlier, the stigma, the attitudes, the discrimination do away with those so that they're able to thrive and flourish, achieve their potential within their communities. So looking back on how the Lord's been working in your life, are you grateful for the journey you've been on and is it very fulfilling? It's incredibly fulfilling. And yeah, I'm, I'm so grateful for, for all that God has, has allowed uh, and provided for me. Um, there's a particular verse that I often reflect on at times of when it's felt overwhelming mm -hmm. or, or discouraging because the needs of course are so enormous, mm -hmm. but I've always reflected on, on Matthew 14, where this comes just after the news that John the Baptist has been beheaded. Jesus hears that news mm -hmm. and he goes to a solitary place to be with God, be with his father. And then after some time, he sees the crowds who have such great need and he has compassion on them. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's been a really helpful reminder and i always try to ground myself back in that situation because here is jesus facing really sad personal news he withdraws he, he finds time to be with his father so for me there's a lesson there all of us yeah. we need to yep. go back to that solitary place mm -hmm. um find our our, our energy our, our grounding our reflection our, our fellowship with god but at the same time the crowds are all around and Jesus sees them and he's, he has compassion. He could have said, look, I'm far too full of grief uh, and I need my own space for a few more weeks. I'll come to you later. But he, he sees the need and he responds. And yeah. for me, I always try to, to remember that never to become hard-hearted, mm -hmm. to recognize that poverty, disability, exclusion continues all around the world. So we need to do all we can, but not to burn out mm -hmm. and lose yeah that kind of grounding of, of why are we doing this? Why am I doing it? It's God's love. It's God's love for me and his command that we mm -hmm. should be salt and light and love others. David Bainbridge, thank you so much for sharing your life journey. It's been a pleasure, Eric. Thank you for having me. That was Eric Scadabo chatting with the Executive Director of CBM Global, David Bainbridge, who joined us from his home in London, England. As we heard, David worked for over 30 years in the international relief and development sector, and he also holds a BA in Theology and Religious Studies from the University of Manchester. So it's great that he was able to combine his experience and knowledge and his faith in one role of helping people throughout the world. That's fantastic. To learn more about what CBM is doing internationally, you can go to their global website, which is cbm-global.org. Once again, that's cbm-global.org. Well, thanks for joining us for David Bainbridge's story, and it was good to get an international perspective. Until next time, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. The story. Just another way vision is helping you look to God daily. 
Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.